Good morning, everybody. Rise and shine. I am Matt. I'm here in the studio today with my co-host, Alex. He's the voice in my head, and sometimes yours. And he never fails to surprise us. Good morning, guys. Get in here. Welcome back once again, old listener, to my second self and I. And if you're new here, hi. Let me explain a little bit about what to expect today. This is a comedy show. My goal every week is to make you laugh, and I'm going to do that by narrating my way through a true crime case with all the facts available to me that I'm able to find. There's going to be a few strange-feeling detours along the way, but it'll come back around, and you're going to leave here with the full story of a horrible murder, and you're going to laugh about it. Is that really okay to do? Well, I'm doing it. What I'm not going to do, though, is take the easy way out. It's not going to be, Oh, ha 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 that guy just got shot in the face, what an idiot. No, I do my best not to make jokes at the expense of the victims or their families, but everything else, fair game. Comedy tells the truth, and nothing tells the truth like a crime. Oh, I like that. If you're still on board and open to trying something new, I appreciate you giving me a shot. Alex, you ready over there, buddy? Let's go already. Let's get on with this thing. Tis the season, Alex. Tis the season to get far, far, far away from home for a little while. It got cold here real quick out of nowhere, and I'm not built for this shit. So instead, we're going to warm up by proxy, because I'm going to tell you about some wild shit that went down in Hawaii in 1999. I have had Mele Kaliki Maka stuck in my head for the past week, so I figured, you know what, yeah, I'll play into all the tropical island music hula dancing around in my head and see if there's anything noteworthy to speak of on the island. And yeah, I think this one fits the bill for that. The Xerox murders took place on November 2nd, 1999. I don't know how many times now I've read the phrase, quote, disgruntled former service technician, or something to that effect. Byron Uyasugi was the aforementioned technician. After a car accident when he was around 18 when he hit his head on the windshield, Byron's life began to meander down an offbeat path. As a young adult, Byron would collect and breed goldfish and koi and then sell them to pet stores. He had a stable job working as a service repair technician for the Xerox company, located off the Nimitz Highway, beginning sometime around 1984. Then 15 years later, in the second floor conference room of the Xerox building, the morning of November 2nd, 1999, Byron pulls out a 9mm handgun and opens fire. 25 rounds are believed to have been fired, and 7 people lost their lives that day. There's quite a bit to go over before that, though, and I would like for some of my first and probably only visit to Hawaii to have a few positive memories, too, so let's see what else the island has to offer. I guess in order to get there, we're going to have to get on a plane, and from what I can gather, Honolulu International Airport is the easiest way to get there. I, of course, read some reviews because I love seeing what other people take the time to write about different things. Why did this person bother writing anything is always fun to find out. A few keywords I saw multiple times were old, outdated, and humid. It's half open air, and I'm quite surprised at how many people are startled by the intense humidity. What do you expect? You're going to a tropical island where you're surrounded by water and the sun. It's gonna be humid. For like 9 out of the 12 months of the year where I live, it's just disrespectfully hot and humid outside, but, you know, that's not really a reason to leave a bad review for a business. It's not their fault we live in a sweaty armpit part of the world. I think I've mentioned this before, but 
If you've never been to the Gulf Coast area where I am and want to prepare for what it's like, wash all your clothes on the hottest setting, then take them out of the dryer about 20 minutes too early, put them on, and then just go on about your day. That's pretty much what it's like here most of the year. I did also find an awesome review that has nothing to do with the airport. It's not even about the airport. I love the person that leaves a review for the wrong place. This person said, This place is a godsend for national security. I couldn't be prouder to be attending a course at this prestigious institution. The Comprehensive Security Cooperation course is by far the highest quality training I've ever had in my 20 plus years, having taken somewhere around 100 plus or minus different training courses in that time frame. The participants and faculty are truly qualified and breathtakingly diverse. I think over 30 to 35 countries were represented in the student body. The foreign participation is probably 90 to 95 percent of the student body. Civil, intellectual, and representative of multiple viewpoints. Count yourself lucky if you get to attend. I guess that's some kind of governmental security seminar thing that's hosted at the airport or maybe close to it? But what's the point of leaving that review at the airport? Who's looking for tips on national security training courses by reading airport reviews? That's really the only interesting review I could find on the airport, but I thought of something really fun that we're going to do right now that might tell us a little more about where we're going, and that would be the free section of Craigslist for Honolulu. First thing you see is a free skid steer bucket. It looks like it's the little scoopy bit on an excavator type machine. You can get a free mother hen and six chicklets. You can get a gently used microwave that's in great condition other than the fact that it's listed as, uh, oh, not working. Dude, this ad might as well say, I'm too lazy to take my own garbage out. I don't want it if it doesn't already work, man. And and I'm microwaving shit because I only have five minutes to eat and it takes three minutes to cook ramen noodles. I don't have time for your garbage appliances. Alright, this listing says, Free wedding performing for my first time. And then in parentheses, Mountain View. The thumbnail picture is a jet fighter pilot looking over his shoulder in the cockpit at what looks to be an alien spacecraft. What the fuck? They're located somewhere off of Volcano Road, which is very Hawaiian sounding. The little detail things under the map locations. Condition is salvage. The make and manufacture not a magic device. What? Model name and number. Don't blow it, dude. And then the Who is this guy? surfer thumb pinky thing. And then says size dimensions 100 years. I don't know what the fuck that's talking about. Maybe the camera? This guy is on drugs. I, I guess. I don't know. He found a camera and then doesn't want to fuck it up. So don't blow it, dude, for like 100 years. Is that it? I don't know. And then the description says... I recently acquired my performer's license in Hawaii to perform a legal wedding. I need two guinea pigs for my first we Oh, like, like a scientific guinea pig, like not the actual animal. All you have to do is get a wedding license. Then meet me and I will legally marry you free. Okay. Only one couple. First couple with an interesting story gets it. Not going to be a ceremony. Just sign papers and say, I married you. Aloha. And bam, we're done. Pagan Wiccan priest, dogs as witness, no mirrors, just smoke. Text me and tell me why you would even want to get married to a human if it's in the stars, then you get the service. Reverend Elo Orion. And then he lists his phone number. What the fuck are you talking about, Reverend? I Don't call this guy. He's gonna do weird stuff to you if you do, I think. So don't, don't call him. 
Let's see what else is weird that we can find on this Craigslist. Free disgusting mobile home that's clearly been rained on and in. No, no thanks. What else is in here? Free surfboard. Free printer. Free silky boy. Is that a chicken? It's a chicken. Oh, he's black and gray. He's a cool looking chicken. He's free. That's cool. Free chicken. There's a lot of there's a lot of free chickens. Uh, I hear about a lot of free animals being given away in this thing. Glass tabletop, mattress pad, mattress, couch, box of wires, disassembled ceiling fans and bed frames, car, leaves, which I feel like you could just go get. Oh, a free microwave and convection oven combo? What's wrong with it? Oh, it doesn't have a door. That's kind of the whole point, isn't it? Aren't you supposed to be able to keep that heat in there? Lots of bags and other stuff. What's the other stuff? Vent filters? Um, just different bags and a spoon for some reason. Why, why is there a spoon? Duffel bag, handbag, cooler bag, laptop bag, backpack, used female clothes, ew. Jeans, top, leftover air filter, small lunchbox, soup ladle, and an organizer. What? Again, I don't want your garbage. Go. I'm not coming to get your garbage for you. Fucking bring it to me if you want me to have it. I don't want to go get it. But it's free. Free wheelbarrow. Free grill. And it works. Oh, guy just got a new one and he wants to give it away. That's neat, I guess. There's a plant exchange. That's neat. Looks like everyone just, um, doesn't want to go to the recycling place or throw their garbage away. Whoa, that's a, a wooden tub? No, that's just, no, it's porcelain made to look like wood. It looks tiny, though. And it looks, is that carpeted base around the outside of it? It is. Ew! Goddamn Craigslist. No, I don't want carpet near my tub. Get out of here. A free boat that's been lost to the jungles. Oh, free VHS tapes. Where? Really? Free trampoline. Cool. I bet it's got a hole in it. Free trampoline U-Haul. Thanks for looking. That's a weird... And then zero contact information. Just a vague map location. Well, I think we got enough. What? Where's, oh, wait, wait a minute. Hold on. There's some more chickens. Are they cute? There's chickens. Chicklets, more chicklets and dogs and pigs and a lot of scrap metal and like like a knocked over dead plant and more chickens. Okay. Free rain guard. That seems unnecessary. It's Hawaii. Free tame boars. Free bacon is what that says to me. Free broken up cement. How fucking lovely. What are you going to do with a... What do you do with scrap cement, anyway? What do you do with that? Do you break it down into finer powder? Do you... Do you reassemble it into a different looking thing? Do you... Now I'm trying to think of all the different things you can do with broken up concrete. You could... Find the straightest pieces of them and then make them attach to your wall somehow in ascending order and have weird broken concrete bookshelves. Dude. If you want to go for that look. I don't know what it is, but you could do that if you want. Dude, no. Probably have to put some brackets underneath them to keep them up from, you know, collapsing your wall because you have concrete on your walls now. Okay, that's enough Hawaii Craigslist for a little while. That's probably enough to get us caught up to speed with some of the local energy flowing around down here. 
You can go get all of that stuff for free right now. You could go do it. But let's move on with the story part of today's episode. Aloha! Welcome to Hawaii! Alright, so let's get to know Byron Uyasugi a little bit, shall we? He was born on Honolulu in 1959 and grew up in the Nu'uanu neighborhood. Not sure what it looked like then, but today it looks pretty nice. I think this neighborhood was named after a battle that took place here in either 1792 or 1795, somewhere in there. Sources vary. This battle was fought by King Kamehameha during his conquest to unify the islands. During the battle, his forces pushed back the Oahu warriors through the jungles and mountains towards a thousand foot drop, and somewhere close to like 700 to 800 people either jumped or were thrown over the edge of the cliff. Holy shit. Then in like 1898, like 100 years later, some construction crews were working on building a road through the valley beneath the cliff, and they found like 800 skulls buried in the dirt. Fucking metal. Other than the neighborhood he grew up in, there isn't a whole lot of information I could find on what kind of kid he was like, but he eventually made his way up to the Roosevelt High School, Go Coconuts, and was in the Army JROTC program. I don't think that's their mascot, by the way. I'm just going to pretend like it was. JROTC, if you don't know, is kind of like military training while you're in school, so you can sort of prep for that kind of life after graduation if you want to go that route. Byron should have done a little more preparation on learning how to drive better, though. He crashed his dad's Cadillac shortly after graduating in 77, so freshly 18 and instantly fucks up a car. Which, you know, sounds about right. I managed to wait till I was 21 at least. He wanged his head pretty good on the windshield in this accident and fragmented his hard drive pretty good too. Gonna take quite a while to fix up those corrupted files. I wonder if maybe that's why this became um, a more prominent thing in his life. At some point, he begins collecting goldfish and koi fish both to breed and to sell to pet stores. Is that a thing down there in that part of the world? I've never heard of that being a thing anywhere. Hawaii, I want this first date to go well, and I need to know more about you. Do y'all collect goldfish and other marine life? Is that, a, is that a common thing, or is that a strange thing to do down there too? I mean, koi ponds are cool, but there's usually just like a handful of them in there. Wait a minute, where'd he get them from? Does he hatch them himself? Wouldn't it take up a lot of room to have a fish hatchery as a hobby? I'm trying so hard to figure this out. Can you eat one? Huh? What? Can you eat a koi fish? I don't fucking know, dude. Uh, probably. I'm kind of hungry. Probably also don't, though. They're cool looking. Anyway, Byron starts collecting fish, and who would even know what other stuff an amateur ichthyologist does in their spare time? Oh, wait. I do. I'm the guy that knows that. That's right. Guns! Whoa! He liked to collect lots and lots of guns. Somewhere in the vicinity of about 25, according to later investigators. Oh, maybe that's how he got all the fish. Maybe he would go island hopping and go rob a bunch of different pet stores and steal their fish to go hop over to another island and sell it to a different pet store. That plan would totally work. It's unsinkable. Matt, come on, dude. Then in 1984, he does eventually get a real damn worky job and gets hired onto the Xerox company as a service repair technician. I think those are the guys that come to fix printers and shit like that. I don't know if that's before or after he was arrested for drunk driving, but that happens in 1984 too. Over the next four years, things go pretty smoothly for Brian. Just hanging out, breeding fish, finding guns to buy, you know, normal island shit. What do you do with your island time? That's what I do. Go find a weak pet store owner I can roll and get myself an endless supply of fish sticks. Yum! 
Island time is a very special part of the day in Hawaii. This is crazy, you guys. For an hour every night when the sun goes down. That time of day where the sky is shifting from purpley orange to black. All of the electrical grids on the island are shut off and all crime becomes legal. That's right. A very limited amount of iffy sources have speculated that the original source for the Purge movies was heavily influenced by the notion of island time on Hawaii. Board up your windows. Briefly. Lock your doors. For a little while. Secure your belongings. With like one extra strap, just in case. Throw blankets over all the koi and goldfish tanks so that potential looters don't burgle them. Especially that one guy. Now, I couldn't find a ton of information that really dives any deeper into that, but I really wish that was in more travel literature. Where was that review? I want to hear from someone who survived island time and wanted to share. Anybody listening on Hawaii right now is screaming, That's not island time, you dipshit! And they're absolutely right. It's not. I made that up. It should be painfully obvious now to everybody that I've never been here before. Now, island time is just kind of a general fuck it. I'm literally in paradise, I'll get there when I fucking get there kind of mentality. Then in 1988, Byron starts noticing a new sensation. He begins complaining to co-workers that he's got a kind of poking feeling in his head. This is also the year that Byron's mother died, so maybe there's a potential trigger for something in that. He's transferred to a new work group at work, and this is really when things start to kind of unravel. He starts making lots of unfounded accusations against his other co-workers, saying they were harassing him and purposefully tampering with products. There may be some truth to that, you know, some dickhead co-workers just teasing the new guy or something. Then in 1993, there's a bit of an incident at a customer's home. Or place of business, I'm not certain, but I've seen it listed both ways. Hawaii, I need to know more. I would like a second date. Do you have elevators in any of your houses, or is that as silly a question as I think it was, and that was just a poorly written article? The incident was when Byron kicked in an elevator. I'm trying so, I want to call him Brian so bad. It is so close. It's just flipped the R and the Y. The incident was when Byron kicked in an elevator door and damaged it so bad that he had to undergo a psych eval. How fucking hard did he have to kick that elevator door? Wouldn't that destroy his foot if he kicked it that hard? To dent metal? What kind of shoes was he wearing? Printer tech isn't walking around in steel toes. Maybe he took his little service repair cart and kept smashing it into the door over and over and over again. You know, I see him with one of those carts that janitors walk around with, but instead of cleaning supplies, it's for computer repair? You know, maybe it's got tiny screwdrivers, Allen wrenches, compressed air, gloves, straps, that random box of wires from Craigslist earlier, a soldering iron, because you never know, a really thin piece of plastic to pop open the palm rest, a little bracket to open things with, those little microfiber wipes, spare parts like ink ribbons and additional RAM, or replacement monitors, or hard drives, or optical drives, or like one of 30 different size types of screws. And he's just out there Sparta-kicking the elevator door because it's closed on his cart as he was exiting, so now there's screws and bits of computer and wires flying all over the place, Byron kicking the door screaming let go you bastard or something like that and and the elevator door keeps trying to close on it so while this whole scene is going on it's just highlighted by a periodic series of ding 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 because his stupid tech card is wedged in the door i'd probably send that guy to get checked out too that was pretty wild this is reality again welcome back so byron is starting to unravel a little bit after the psyche valve he was also ordered to undergo anger management courses and I don't think they were very effective. There might have been something else going on besides rampant, unchecked rage. 
The doctor that examined Byron said he was suffering from delusions and paranoia, and he'd been experiencing auditory and visual hallucinations, but that he wasn't dangerous. Byron was also becoming more paranoid about his co-workers, whom he now believed to all be conspiring against him in various ways by planting bugs in his house and spreading scandalous rumors. Is he the Hawaiian Dale Gribble? Sometime after the evaluation, Byron told his brother that the Shadow Man had actually pinned him down. Now his hallucinations can physically touch him. Awesome. Maybe Byron wasn't outwardly dangerous yet. Maybe he just twigged out for a second and saw a Shadow Man coming out of the vents in the elevator. In which case, yeah, of course, you, you have to destroy the elevator. You have to exterminate the natural habitats of those creatures, otherwise they'll keep coming back and procreating, and eventually it's gonna fuck up the ecosystem. If you ever encounter a shadow person or other visual hallucinations, it is your duty to eliminate them for the future of humanity. They're dangerous, unpredictable pseudo-entities, and they must be stopped! In 1995, he starts showing a few more signs. He begins making verbal comments to the effect of carrying out a mass shooting in the workplace if he were ever fired, which, you know, I feel like in most places would pretty much immediately get you fired if you said that. What would you do? What would happen if you said that to your boss tomorrow? Oh, is is that right? Yeah, is that that what you're gonna do? Okay, well, okay, you're definitely fired, and um, security's already on their way, and cops have been called. That's absolutely what's happening if you say that. Another couple of years goes by, and poor Byron is still being plagued by shadow people. The family even goes so far as to have a Shingon priest bless the house in 1997 in the hopes that the shadow people would finally leave Byron alone. I think Shingon is some sort of Buddhism? So Byron has been dealing with bouts of anger and psychotic breaks and goldfish. Remember the goldfish? Sometimes he would even gift his fish to his co-workers. Hey, do you want this? Not really. Here you go, bye now. We know what he's doing. But what has the company he works for been doing this whole time? In short, nothing. As far as they're concerned, Byron is a competent employee. He perhaps needs a little extra guidance and patience, but otherwise a dependable employee. Plus, stocks are climbing and profits are high. You know what? I've, I've got an idea. Let's roll out a new corporate trading schedule with brand new equipment and inconvenience everybody who has a time card with having to learn new technology so we can make more money faster! Byron doesn't want to learn the new machine, though. I don't want to learn a new thing. It's new, and I don't understand it, so I'm afraid of it. The one he'd been working on had been fine for so long, he didn't want to mess up his routine and risk delaying his work, so he refused to learn to operate the new machine. Xerox had been slowly phasing out the older models so that everyone would be working at the same uniform pace, but Byron resisted until the very last moment. This way still works fine. I'll learn that later and keep my job secure for now. Right now, I gotta go shadow box this thing. Probably close to what he's thinking. Then on November 2nd, 1999, two years after the priest failed to exercise the shadowy threat from the Uyasugi home, and the deadline for new copier machine school inching ever closer, Byron drives to work. The day before, his supervisor had spoken with him about the new training schedule, and that he'd begin learning the new machine the next day, on the 2nd. At around 8 a.m., Byron arrives at the building and briefly chats with another employee before making his way up to the second floor. He then pulls out a Glock 9mm, which holds about 15 rounds, and in one room he sees Ron Kawame and Jason Balatico and shoots them both. He moves on down the hall and enters into a conference room where his other co-workers were having a meeting and opens fire in there as well, gunning down five more victims. 
Ford Kanahira, Ronald Kataoka, Melvin Lee, Peter Mark, and John Sakamoto. All in all, about 25 rounds are believed to have been shot, which means he definitely reloaded. He also attempted to kill Steve Matsuda in the stairwell, but missed, so Byron steals a work van from the garage and flees the scene. SWAT teams arrive pretty quickly, and the building is evacuated. As news of the shooting spread, a jogger sees him sitting in a van near the Makiki Heights Nature Center, and negotiator teams swoop in to try and talk him out. They have a decision to make here. They know there's been a shooting, but not how many victims, and only a few basic facts about Byron's home life. They knew he was close with his mother, who died of cancer, so they opted to go with a woman named Cheryl Sunia. She was sitting on the hillside in some bushes, and Uyasugi was sitting in his car. Police threw out a phone so he could talk to him, and Sunia knew instantly this wasn't your normal type of negotiation. She said, it wasn't someone on drugs, someone who'd been using drugs and totally insane. And for the next couple of hours, she just talked to him. He was thinking about killing himself, but eventually she led him to tell her some things about what happened. He said he knew the meeting was about him that day, and that he was absolutely going to be fired when he came in. He couldn't understand the new machines, so it was likely they were setting him up to fail. This lady's dedicated too. She said there were bugs and cockroaches and centipedes and all kinds of other nasty shit crawling all over her in the bushes. And she notices Byron take a sip from a water bottle and mentions, Boy, it sure is hot out here. I'd sure like some water. So Byron pours it out the window and said, Well, now we both don't have water. So Sunia, thinking quickly, says, You know what? I'm hot and tired. What about this? What if I brought you a soda, huh? Come on, what's your favorite soda? No. Come on. Everybody has a favorite soda. What's yours? No. Byron. Byron. Come on, man. You're gonna tell me a nice, crisp, cold, refreshing soda isn't dancing around your head right now? Nothing's coming to mind? Nuh-uh. What about a nice root beer float? Oh, no. Even better. A dream sickle. What's a dream sickle, you ask? Okay, now we're getting somewhere. A dream sickle is kind of like a root beer float, but instead of root beer and vanilla ice cream, you know what you use? What? Orange soda. You can do that. Yeah. Doesn't that sound great right now? Yeah, it does. Tell you what, we can go get one right now. Oh boy, no fooling. All you have to do, Brian, is tell me what your favorite soda is. Mm. Oh, don't be like that, Byron. Come on. I'll tell you mine if you tell me yours. Pepsi. I'm sorry. What? What? Was I didn't quite hear you. Pepsi. Hey! There it is. Let's get this kid a Pepsi. He earned it. Yay, Pepsi. Pepsi. She actually talked Pepsi. him into ending negotiations Pepsi. with a fucking Pepsi after he murdered seven people six hours prior because he thought he was going to get fired for not learning a new copier machine. That's fucking incredible. This lady's a badass. So he surrenders, and SWAT teams move in to arrest the disgruntled copier repair technician. The trial begins a few months after the shooting on May 15, 2000. Byron's defense is that, at the time of the offense, he was not criminally responsible for his actions and that he lacked substantial capacity to appreciate the wrongfulness of his conduct, and that he was delusional. A doctor that testified for the prosecution team, Dr. Michael Wellner, said that Byron was in his opinion a schizophrenic, but because he was angry that he'd be fired for insubordination and his own account of concealment, he knew what he'd done was wrong. 
Through all the court proceedings and cross-examinations and key witness testimony, and after less than 90 minutes of deliberation, the jury finds him guilty. He is sentenced to life in prison with no chance of parole, so he won't be harming anybody else anytime soon. There was an appeal in 2002, I think, but it didn't really hold enough water to move along. So what did happen with Byron? He got into a car accident at a young age, and when he banged his head on the windshield, it most likely scrambled his frontal and temporal lobes. Over time, that misfire and synapses devolved into delusions and paranoia, making that line between real and imagined reality just a little bit more blurry. Perhaps the ghosts of goldfish and koi from his past began appearing in his hallucinations, driving him ever closer to the edge of madness. Could they really be to blame? Was it all just a figment of Byron's imagination? Was he, in his mind, battling through an abandoned fishing hamlet of shadowy fish people, armed with spears and magic spells like some Lovecraftian horror video game? Maybe. Maybe not, though. Maybe definitely not Bloodborne. He doesn't have enough insight to play that game. Home, good hunter. There is a bit of interesting psychology that I found that seems to help make actual real-world sense of Byron's actions, though. In an article from Psychology Today on the mind of a mass murderer, it says, quote, Most perpetrators are young males who act alone after carefully planning the event. They often have a long-standing fascination with weapons and have collected large stores of them, and that the shootings usually occur in a public place and during the daytime. Sounds pretty on the nose for our guy today. If you remember from the beginning, I mentioned the police obtained somewhere around 25 different guns of all different types after the shooting. Most of them were from Byron's home, but a few of them they collected from his father. And everything else lines up pretty smoothly. And head injuries and brain trauma have been linked to violent tendencies for quite a while now. There's any number of other violent criminals or killers that have most likely suffered some sort of traumatic head injury in their life. Byron will spend the rest of his life in prison, but Hawaii apparently has this thing where they don't house longtime prisoners on the island. So he was being held in either Mississippi or Missouri for a while, but according to a 2019 article I found earlier, he's in the Saguaro Correctional Facility in Arizona now. To this day, Byron has never opened up to anyone about what happened. There you have it, everybody. I thought this one was interesting because you never seem to hear anything negative about Hawaii, and to come across something like this just kind of made it feel more familiar in a way. I guess things like this really can happen anywhere. There were not a lot of them, though. I had a lot of trouble finding this, and there was only like a handful, maybe three or four other known about murders that happened on Hawaii, so not a lot of this happens, but it can happen on Hawaii too, I guess. So that's the story for today, everybody. And I do have a small bit of an update right here for you. Um, I have decided to take a small break so that I can reorganize all the different shit going on outside this podcast because like so many other people, kind of drowning right now. And after this, I also won't have any more storage space on my hard drive to create new episodes, so I gotta go get that figured out as well. I just need that extra little bit of room in my head to get back above water a little bit faster. Rest assured, I will be back. Probably only gonna be gone maybe two weeks. And then the return episode will be epic and hilarious. I do apologize for the sudden announcement, but what are you gonna do? Life happens to all of us, right? I'll try to engage a little more on the socials and try to make some fun things happen over there. And I do want to thank you all for listening today and any other day you've listened to me tell stories. These are really fun, and I want to keep making more. If you like that story today or just how I tell them, 
help me out with some free for you to do stuff on whatever thing you're hearing me on right now. So happy Thanksgiving, everybody. Enjoy your holidays. Try not to get into a fist fight at the dinner table this Thursday, but yeah, I get it. You gotta do what you gotta do sometimes. If you're traveling, I wish you a safe journey, and you'll all be in my thoughts as I smoke my way through the spread laid before me this year. Thanks again, everybody. Stay Stay kind. kind.